Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What's going down? Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of What's Going Down here on uh, itrwrestling.com, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm here as always, uh, joined by Finley Martin. Finn, how are you today? It's almost July, it's pissing it down in Glasgow. I'm hoping it's a little bit better where you are. Very grey, very grey, but the mood is sunny. The mood, <laughs> it's always sunny on What's Going Down. It's always sunny in our minds. There you go. This <laughs> And we hope we're going to brighten up your day, if indeed it's rainy or overcast where you are. Yeah, and there's lots to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, SmackDown and Raw, the kind of continued build to money in the bank. We're going to talk about Forbidden Door. So I think we should just dive in, because it is a busy week. Um, so let's start off with SmackDown from this past week. And, um, you know, on SmackDown, we, we had... Um, we, we, I mean, there's a few a few notable things in the show. We did see Sami Zayn qualify for the, the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. Uh, we saw Ronda Rousey recite... I mean, I, does anyone recite verbiage more like they're, rehear- they're, they're reading something they've memorised than Ronda Rousey? I mean... Uh, pro- nah, probably not. Because Natalia comes out, and, you know... Very rarely do we give Natalia a lot of praise on this podcast, but she comes out dressed like Ronda Rousey, pushing a baby stroller, which did make me laugh. And she, you know, she pretends to be Ronda. It's quite funny. And then Ronda comes out and just kind of cuts this, you know, promo on her. And it just was, 
crazy to 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 hear Rhonda try to recite this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I thought Natalia was quite funny at first. You know, the visual was funny, but then when she had to start speaking, I don't really feel like Natalia. Natalia, I don't feel like humor is Natalia's strong suit. So I mean, usually <laughs> it was comical with her dressed up as Ron, dressed up as Rondo with the you know over the top makeup and the leather jacket and pushing the the pram. But when it was time for her to start speaking, um, it just kind of fell off a cliff. Um, but I mean, it did result in Rondo walking out and really being quite unpleasant to Natalia. Um, in fact, she was so so unpleasant that. Um, you, you kind of wondered who was supposed to be the, the baby face and who was supposed to be the heel. So, you know, Rousey blasted Natalia for being childless and then commented on um, the words she used were, this is what Rhonda said to Natalia. I'm not going to mutilate my body chasing impossible industry beauty standards like you do. Um, which was, you know, are we like, we're not supposed to really, you know, mention these things in 2022 that people have cosmetic surgery. You're not really supposed to, you're not really allowed to mention that anymore. No. This is the world we now live in. We're not allowed to bring that up. Um, but Rhonda did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, that came across, yeah, pretty um, spiteful, really. I mean, it was obviously written for her uh, and it was written by somebody who wanted Natalia to, you know, it was intended to sting, wasn't it? It was, it was acidic. It was meant to be cutting. It was meant to be malicious. It was meant to hurt Natalia's feelings. Um, and then she just, Rhonda then mentioned that Natalia didn't have any talent and the only way that she could be, uh, even though she was a hard worker, the only way that she uh, could ever be a main attraction in the company was by dressing up as Rhonda. And that was the cue for, you know, scuffle to break out. Um, Natalia attacked Rhonda with the pram, which was quite funny. <laughs> and Rousey made the comeback and Natalia retreated. So that was the angle to try and create some interest in this match. I mean, the worst thing about this Natalia versus Rousey match is that the outcome is a foregone conclusion. We already know who's going to win. And I actually think the match will be quite good and maybe they'll be able to draw the audience into it. But we all know who's going to win. And these sort of matches always feel like a disappointment before they even take place. You know, swimming upstream, aren't they? To try and get people into this match, they're going to have to work so hard because we know that Ronda's going to retain. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the, the problem is when, when Rhonda came out, you know, because the whole the whole premise of this is that Natalia has come out and taken the piss out of Ronda Rousey. Yes. So then the, the, what you're looking for is the baby face to come out and deliver some sort of passionate response. And then Ronda Rousey's, you're saying all these things. I mean, you, you, you actually uh, you know mentioned some of it as well on what else is going down. It's up on Patreon right now. But, you know, she's saying stuff that's like really viscerally, horrible but she's delivering it with the the sort of anger of like a child who's just you know lost one of his bricks that he's looking for like she just there's nothing that, she's dead behind the eyes is Rhonda yeah I mean it wasn't there was no passion was there she was 
almost apathetic and you can see that she was having to concentrate so hard on delivering the lines correctly that she didn't deliver them with you know any sort of feeling it was just rather cold wasn't it and unemotional mm-hmm. now if you had said to me uh, on smackdown that coming out of it one of the things i'd be looking forward to the most at SummerSlam would be pat mcafee and happy corbin I don't know if I would have believed you, but Pat McAfee, the guy just knows what he's doing. You know, he he, he cuts this promo where he basically says that he wants to face, uh, you know, Corbin at SummerSlam. The crowd are really into it. Um, he's got the crowd chanting. I mean, they just seem to be able to pull Pat McAfee out for these big shows. And no matter who you put him against, it, it kind of works. Well, it does, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I mean, they have been building it up over a period of weeks and McAfee has insulted Corbin for weeks, if not months, on commentary, referring to him as bum-ass Corbin. Um, um, so, yeah, Mac- McAfee's challenged him to a match at SummerSlam. Uh, Corbin wasn't on SmackDown. We imagine that he'll be there next week, or this week, rather, uh, to answer the challenge. When you think about it, yeah, it's Pat McAfee, Corbin, presumably. I think it's going to be Logan Paul versus The Miz. Uh, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. I mean, they've already got three pretty big matches set up for the show. Uh, or matches, at least with broad appeal anyway, to an audience who might not otherwise watch WWE. So it already feels like quite a big show just with those three matches. Yeah, it's going to be interesting on the, I mean, on the women's side, I, you know, I assume we're going to have Becky and Bianca again, which, you know, we can get to the top of Raw. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I think the, the only thing is it feels like SummerSlam is missing a sort of meaty story that people are really into. And I'm hoping they're going to give us one of those, whether it's the, if the Roman Brock story gets that way, hopefully, but we'll see what they come up with. And what else on SmackDown stuck out to you, though, as memorable and worth a bit of discussion? Anything? Well, I thought Sami Zayn versus Shinsuke Nakamura in the Money in the Bank qualifier, I thought, I thought that was really, really well done. In fact, they, they almost did too much uh, in a match that was on this spot on the broadcast. It was the first match on the show. And it almost felt like a main event with the, the number of near falls and kickouts. Uh, um, but I thought that match was very well done. Um, Zayn won after a halluva kick. Uh, I thought the match was very exciting and fans were were totally into it from start to finish. So I enjoyed that. And I like the story as well. Uh, that Sami Zayn had told Paul Heyman, oh, you know, I'm not going to cash in on Roman Reigns. And then he said, but I would cash in on Brock Lesnar. And then Paul Heyman was furious because Zayn's suggesting that Lesnar might defeat Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. So that was mm-hmm. a nice little subtle touch there. But this, this is Zayn trying to get back into the good graces of the bloodline, even though he's not really in the good graces of the bloodline, but he is, he, he is or was in his mind. So I like that story. I think that was the right choice, putting him in the match. I don't think he'll win the Money in the Bank contract, um, but there's you know mileage there, uh, certainly on this, this Friday on SmackDown and on the show itself, that Zayn might win the briefcase and then would he cash in on Roman, so I enjoyed that. Um, the Viking Raiders uh, turned heel on the New Day, which I think is a good role for them because they've basically been in a they've basically been almost in a glorified jobber role for so long. So maybe they'll 
Maybe they'll score some wins as villains. You know, maybe they'll get a bit of heat. I think this is a good role for them. I mean, anything would have been better than what they were doing. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, was there anything else on the show that you? Uh, I mean, I guess you. Know, I thought they did a good job of the whole Drew McIntyre and Sheamus thing, getting them into Money in the Bank. You know, by sort of Paul Heyman trying to block it, and then having Sheamus and Drew face the Usos in the main event, and then they win and they get in. I thought that was a good. You know, we talked before about how when there's a show. Th- a show-long thread, that tends to be when shows are more enjoyable because there's something that you're kind of, you know, waiting for or you're uh, wanting to see how it plays out. And I thought they did a good job uh, with that one. So um, overall, a pretty a pretty decent night for SmackDown. Nothing, I mean, Money in the Bank as a pay-per-view this year feels like it's it's really missing a lot of, I don't know what the word, I mean, interest maybe, like pe- people just don't seem that excited. You know, we've not got Roman Reigns on the show yeah. at all. We've got a bunch of injuries. Um, you know, the women's title stuff on both sides is not really anything special. We've got Ronda and Bianca both defending against, you know, obviously it was supposed to be Bianca and Rhea, which would have been really good. But I mean, it just seems like money in the bank, you know, it, it was it was going to be a stadium show. Roman was going to be main event in it. And now it just feels a bit, you know, meh. But maybe on the night they will go on to, you know, if there's low expectations, it's easier to kind of smash through them in the end. Yeah, yeah, it does feel a bit so-so. I mean, I think when it was downgraded from the stadium to the MGM Grand Garden Arena, I think then the show itself, the lineup was downgraded, wasn't it, accordingly. So, you know, the, the show has been... Uh, configured for a arena, not for a stadium. So, um, you know, that's been very noticeable. Um, doesn't feel like, you know, Gunter's got a match on the show either. He defeated Ricochet on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I thought Ricochet did, did well in the match, really put Gunter over, and Gunter just felt like a big star and a proper champion here. But I think I would have preferred to have seen this match at Money in the Bank rather yeah. than on TV. They could have had the same match with five or six more minutes had added and it would have felt like it meant more and it would have been, you know, Gunter said, I'm here to restore the prestige of the IC belt, which is hopefully what he will do. And uh, a first big step towards restoring that prestige would have been him defending and retaining on paper on premium live event against Ricochet. So, yeah, that felt like a, a wasted opportunity there. Uh, which Max Dupree still hasn't uh, unveiled his first uh, client yet. <laughs> Apparently that's going to happen this week, but who knows? <laughs> uh, I mean, for actually one of the funniest things on the show uh, was when Seamus and Drew were doing a promo backstage and Seamus ended up blowing his lines. And as he, as he was leaving, Drew said to him, it's WWE, by the way. Seamus mispronounced WWE. <laughs> if you're getting that wrong, it's a it's a bad day. But um, I mean, that was really funny. Uh, but yeah, well, yeah in, in in terms of Gunther, we'll or Gunther, we'll see if he uh, if he can break the curse and get the Intercontinental title back onto one of the big monthly shows. So um, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, he will do. Yeah. And, let's uh, uh, let's move on. Actually, actually, it was a pretty funny thing backstage as well. Angelo Dawkins uh, told Madcap Moss and Montez Ford a joke, and the joke was. Why did the coach go to the bank? I don't know. To get the punchline to get his quarterback. So Dawkins told the joke and then cracked up. 
and uh, Ford and Madcap Moss had to no-sell it. And that was really funny because they both looked like they were about to crack up, but somehow held <laughs> it. They somehow kept it together. That was pretty funny, actually. They kept it together. Um, well, you were talking about Money in the Bank, which feels like a not not a huge show. And uh, AEW, the New Japan Forbidden Door show, suffered from a lot of the same. And the build-up, there's obviously injuries. Um, Tony Khan did say in one of the media interviews that he wasn't, he, he didn't know for sure he was going to get Okada until the week of the show. Um, so it kind of feels like, for the most part, Forbidden Door Finn, it, it, it kind of it, uh, resides in its own canon, not really beside anything else, apart from the, the debut of Claudio. Everything else kind of feels like pick it up again next year to do another one, right? Well, and Moxley be coming into him AEW yeah, yeah. camp. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, with that, it was like, I mean, I think it would have been more likely that we would have flown to Chicago and become the ROH Tag Team Champions than New Japan's Tanahashi becoming the interim champ. <laughs> it was, you know, talk about foregone conclusion. I think we were, we were very aware of what was going to happen. But the, the big story, and one that will obviously play it, play it on AEW TV, starting with Blood and Guts tomorrow night, will be, it was the debut as the mystery opponent of Zack Sabre Jr. of Claudio, or Claudio Castagnoli, the former Cesaro. He turned up and got a, a huge response from the crowd in Chicago at the United Center. Uh, he went on to do his best to get Zack Sabre Jr. to take bumps and to <laughs> get off the ground, which is always a, a challenge. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, the I mean the crowd. I, I I thought I thought that Claudio in the ring was 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 great. You know, the, I loved the spot where he was going to do the swing, but he'd had the shoulder injury, and and he was and then he kind of did like five and dropped it because he couldn't do any more because he was selling selling. I worked out there. Um, but yeah, I thought big big success for Claudio on the first night. What did you make of him being the mystery opponent? And uh, would you make of his first night? Yeah, most people had predicted that he would be the uh, Zach's mystery opponent. I think he was the right choice. I think if it had been anyone else, it would have been viewed as a disappointment. Um, I mean, he's another, I mean, AEW, as we know, has got so many people on its roster, so many ex-WWE guys. So, I mean, we'll see how long, how long, how long his push lasts for. I mean, hopefully it will last for a while. The thing he's got going in his favor, because you know, we've talked about this a lot, haven't we? About, about how many ex WWE guys there are, about how people, you know, how rarely do pushes sort of get continued. You know, we see people kind of go up and down. The thing yeah. that I think is going to help Claudio is being in the Blackpool Combat Club because if he's in this group with Moxley and Danielson and Regal, you know, he's going to be around in big angles and big moments. So I don't feel as I don't feel as worried for him as I did feel and went on to be correct about somebody like Keith Lee, who yeah. just kind of feels like he, you know, he's in a land of his own. Or, well, he's with Swerve, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think the Blackpool Combat Club could be something that could be helpful for Claudio. Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And I think, I think, I think his debut was, I think it was a, it was a good match for what it was. Um, I'm not really a huge fan of Zack Sabre Jr.'s style. Um, I thought Claudio did everything he could to spice it up and give it some welly, give it some oomph, give it some punch, you know, <laughs> give it some life, you know, and make it move and make it sing. And I think the match did 
do what it was supposed to do, which was, you know, entertain and get Claudio over. Not, I mean, he was already over as soon as he came out, of course, because he's an ex-WWE guy. But he had a really good night. He, he, he knows what to do. I mean, he's obviously a veteran. He's in great shape. He can work almost any style. So it was a good fit for him against Zack Sabre Jr. And I think he'll have a good night as well in the double cage tomorrow night. So the timing of it really couldn't have been much better for him. And I think he's somebody actually you could have. I mean, even the problem is, I think he's somebody actually you could have a good match with John Moxley, but that seems unlikely since they're in the same faction. But I think he's somebody who would have been a, an ideal opponent for John Moxley, uh, but he can be an ideal opponent for other people as well. I mean, such a um, credible in ring performer. Um, so, so yeah, I enjoyed seeing him on the show. Um, Pac won the All Atlantic title in the four way. That was all action, of course. So I mean, I do actually. I, I was going to give a, a bit of praise about that All Atlantic four way. Wait, wait, I'm then going to give an insult right after. <laughs> so it's a, it's a bit. Of, I feel bad, but you know, it's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm just going to say what I'm thinking. So you know how Clark Connors in the match, the yes. the four way, right? Who, by the way, when the guy took his hat off, I was like, that's giving me Shawn Michaels WrestleMania 25 hairstyle vibes. But uh, anyway, Clark Connors, I, I thought they, they told a really good story about him in the match where he was like the guy that nobody took seriously. He got beat up for ages and then he picked his spot and he went, what he, he ran rough shot and people went mental for him. They were really, you know, he, he got over in front of the crowd. But the problem is, is this isn't a Wheeler Utah situation where he's going to be put into the, a group and this is going to be, you know, continued. It's just going to go away. So yeah. all this Clark Connor stuff, well, I, I, I do accept that, you know, they were kind of ha- ham- handcuffed by Ishii getting injured and who you put in that spot instead. But it just seemed a shame that the, the, the person that gets all that treatment ends up being something you're not using and you can't really follow up on it. Yeah, it's almost like New Japan insisted on it it's like well we've got this guy in the match we want you to try and get him over we want you to try we want the match to try and make him a star even though he's not going to win so it was almost like that was the mentality when they were laying the thing out which i do understand because you know a lot of new japan guys as we know prior to this show when they went to AEW, they usually lost i mean they usually put the AEW talent over Mm -hmm. so i do understand why I'm sure it was New Japan insisted, listen, this guy needs something, this match. He needs some offense. He needs some sequences that people are going to respond to. So he feels like a somebody when the match, uh, when the match has ended and he's not just been a bit player and he's not just, he's not been the person who's done the job. And, you know, so, I mean, it was, um, I mean, I thought it was a pretty good match. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's, these matches often, don't peak at the end and they often do too much early and then there's this big lull and then they try and claw it back and work towards the finish and uh, i didn't expect pack to win i thought this was going to be Miro's night so pack won so i mean you know good for him i mean i don't know what this title's really going to mean in the long run i mean it's yet another championship as we know this company has got too many championships as it is but I mean, let's give him a chance. You know, maybe this title could mean something in the long run. But, yeah, maybe uh, maybe he's going to defend it in Japan, defend it in the UK. I mean, it's it's weird, isn't it, that like, you know, Pax now got this belt, and you would think that we would see him, you know, in the UK. 
I mean, there's not really the UK scene's not really red hot right now. I no. mean, maybe you could send them to progress. I mean, they're not they're not what they were before, but you know, it's not like it's not like you can go to ICW or anything because they're obviously in bed with WWE. So um yeah, yeah it's a tricky one. Uh, well, listen, Sandra and I are gonna be covering the full Forbidden Door later today or or probably as it'll be up as you uh, listen to this, it's on Patreon. But a um, couple of other things. Obviously, Adam Cole got injured in the four-way with Okada, Page, and Jay White. Uh, so he has a concussion. Yeah, I think he suffered a concussion. Yeah, the ending was, was anticlimactic. Even Jim Ross described it as an anticlimactic ending. Um, so, yeah, it was... Um, it did rather, I wouldn't say it fell apart badly at the end, but you could tell that something was amiss. Something had gone wrong. And this match here peaked long before the finish. Peaked like probably five or six minutes before the finish. They had this huge, exciting flurry from Hangman Adam Page. And then it was like, right, is this the finish? No, you're going to keep going. And it was just like, you've peaked. You're not going to be able to regain that level of enthusiasm and an energy from the audience because you know you've done everything so it was a strain the whole layout of the match was strange potentially you know they could have turned it up turned the heat up just before the finish had Cole not been injured but I'm not convinced by that so it was and, and I felt also they were out there just far too long and it was like I know it was an IWGP world title match but it's like this match would have worked better had it been shorter um, I did want to ask you as well, obviously, uh, after Will Osprey retained his IWGP US title against Orange Cassidy, uh, we did see a surprise appearance by Shibata, who came out, who obviously had been, had had, you know, the really bad injury. Um, he came out, people were going crazy for him. How did you feel about seeing him again? Do you think this means that we're going to, I mean, they were teasing on commentary he's going to wrestle again. A lot of people maybe thought he might not wrestle again for a long, long time. Were you surprised to see him show up? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose so. I mean, he was such a talent before, you know, he suffered the head injury in that match he had with uh, Okada, which I actually think was the match that did him in. Uh, that was one of my favourite favorite matches that year. And if, in fact, my favourite match in, in many years. It was such an incredible match. But they were exchanging those really hard headbutts, weren't they? Mm-hmm. And I think it was a combination of that. I believe he was, you know, he was dehydrated and... I can't exactly remember the, the full story behind it, but he felt like that his career was over. So, yeah, he, he, I mean, the guy's, the guy looks great. He just does not seem to have aged at all. And then uh, Orange Cassidy put his glasses on him, which was a nice touch. And, you know, people really responded to that. So, I mean, has he wrestled again? Has he actually had an official match since the injury? Not that I'm aware. I'm gonna check right now. I thought now. he might have had like an exhibition match or something, but I'm not sure if he ever, if he had an if he's had an actual match. Let me check right now. So let me go on cage match. Um, yes, yeah, so he had, he did have two two matches. He had um, the grappling rules match with Zack Saber Junior. I mean that's I mean that's really just you know a wee walk around the ring, isn't it? A Zack Saber Junior match. I mean, no um, bumps. Zach no, doesn't take any bumps. No bumps. Zach and Kevin Nash. Um, and then he and then he defeated uh, Ren Narita at Wrestle Kingdom, Wrestle Kingdom this year in January. Okay, this year. Am I? Uh, did he? I don't remember that. 
And that, no, he, 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 he's not wrestled a lot for sure. He yeah, see- so I mean, he, you know, he's not been taking any risks basically. So he's been, you know, having like, you know, roll around type, type like grappling exhibition type matches, hasn't he? Yeah. Minimize the head trauma, which is absolutely the right decision. But I mean, it's up to him. I mean, it's, I always think when someone suffers an injury like this and it was really bad at first and there was lots of concern about what his life would be like after that injury. And he's made this amazing recovery. I mean, why risk it by going back? I just, I mean, I know these people are driven and, you know, and they wouldn't be this good if they weren't driven to want to perform and to be the best. And, you know, in many ways, that's what keeps them going. That's what they live for. But I just think if the risks are that great, just don't take that risk. Um. And then obviously the main event was John Moxley and Hiroshi Tanahashi for the interim AEW world title. Predictably, Moxley was the one who won the title. Um, the crowd were very into Tanahashi, but I think, I mean, judging from the, the ratings of Dynamite recently, you know, the New Japan experiment has not been good for, for ratings. So I think, you know, no matter who the AEW guy was, Moxley or Danielson or else, they, they needed to just put the belt on whoever that was. And try and move on from from this for a while. Yeah, yeah, from this little experiment, from this little, you know, deviation, from, you know, this little side road that they've gone down for a while. Uh, Yeah, I think normal service will resume tomorrow night on Dynamite, and so it should. Um, Yeah, of course it was going to be Moxley who would claim the interim AEW world title. I mean, it was, I mean, I'm not a fan of John Moxley. I just think his matches are all over the place. I think they're usually so haphazard. This one had a little bit more structure because Tanahashi was in there and he's a very structured guy. Um, Moxley bladed for no reason after a sling blade. Moxley hit uh, Tanahashi hit Moxley with a sling blade. Moxley rolled to the floor. So the sling blade didn't connect with his forehead, obviously. It's like a clothesline. And then Moxley rolled to the floor they got the camera off him, and then when the camera was back on him, there was blood everywhere. And it's just like, well, how has a sling blade cut the top of your head open? And there was so much blood, and it was just unnecessary. It didn't add anything to the match. It was just annoying. I mean, all it did was ruin another ring canvas and Tanahashi's outfit. Oh, Moxley's going to pay for that. But it was just, but- yeah, we had all this blood for no reason. It's just become such a cliché. In John Moxley's matches, I always find I always find just for me anyway. I always find that I like the John Moxley character in terms of like his intensity and you know his promos and just his his general like persona. But his matches always just kind of like I, I can't get into his matches for the most part because it always feels like he just wants to go more violent. He wants to go, but not in a very exciting way either. It's just. Yeah, I feel like he's got he's got a very unique style, but yeah, people either really like it or just it's not it's not for them. Yeah, well, I mean, there's no flow. They don't really make any sense. They don't go anywhere. It's just a sequence of moves that not really that don't really flow or are connected. I mean, it wasn't bad, but to me, the blood just ruined it. It was just got all this blood, this massive blade job, um, for no reason, and. Um, you know, I can't understand why Tanahashi didn't post him or they didn't at least give a reason for him to bleed. And he just bladed when he obviously hadn't been struck in the head. 
Um, and, and then it had no real bearing on the outcome of the match. He still won, even though he was bleeding. So, yeah, I mean, it was totally unnecessary, was the blood, and just detracted from my enjoyment of the match, which was minimal to begin with. Um, and in the end, yeah, it was Moxley who won, of course. So this was very much like Natalia versus Ronda Rousey. We knew who was <laughs> going to win before the bell even rang or the talent that even arrived at the arena. So, but I, hey, um, we can all move on now. And I can't say I'm really that thrilled at the prospect of Moxley versus CM Punk. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that Wardlow becomes champion in the interim. I mean, because to me, they need to get that belt on him within the next few months, then do Wardlow CM Punk. CM Punk can put Wardlow over and you try and build on this guy that defeated MJF and you try and create, you know, this star, you know, give Wardlow a chance to become the top guy. Maybe he's not ready yet. Maybe it would be a rush. But I mean, he's 34. He's just got this huge win over MJF. They need to capitalize on where he is. And they need to try and make this guy into a star because I think he's somebody who could potentially make a difference to AEW Wardlow. He's somebody who could have broad appeal and that's what they need. They need a talent with broad appeal to try and get those ratings back up above a million. And, it, and also I think part of the thing is that like with, it, with AEW, they've done their best ratings when they've had lots of big characters. And it's the, yeah. it's the, the stories and the characters that are going to drive your ratings. Um but anyway, um, we'll, next week we'll be we'll chat about blood and guts, which obviously was kind of the, the the post main event brawl. So that'll be uh, happening tomorrow night. We'll talk about it next week. Um, let's move on to Raw, the twentieth anniversary celebration of John Cena. And I was watching this Finn. I was going, they're really testing Finn here to see how much he's going to stomach of uh, of John. It was like he died. It was like we we're watching the the John Cena memorial edition of Raw. You know, he was he arrived backstage and everyone's applauding him. I mean, Everyone think, except for Becky Lynch. Thank God. Thank God there's somebody. Eddie's applauding him for just being alive. Um, I mean, I think I think Becky in her younger days was probably a power slam reader. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm, I, you know, she's, <laughs> she's just responding to my teachings. You taught her well. Uh, so we one of the, the the big surprises of the night was we had all these wrestlers given sound bites. Shawn Michaels who looked horrific, um, but we had Stone Cold Steve Austin, Trish Stratus, uh, Triple H, all, all the kind of usual suspects you might expect to appear. But three people who we did not expect to have um, video messages were from Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, uh, Paul White, and Chris Jericho. All new videos that had been recorded, you know, recently for the celebration. Were you surprised to see them on here? And do you think that was it the right move for Tony Khan to sort of allow this to happen, or do you think he should have blocked it? No, I think it was the right move for him to do that. I mean, it, it's there was no real reason for him to say no. I mean, I just watched Slammiversary and uh, Kurt Angle and AJ Styles. I mean, I know WWE and Impact Wrestling have got like a, a very you know loose relationship. It's you know they've got an understanding or whatever you want to call it. They're, they're not enemy promotions, but AJ and Kurt Angle sent videos in that were broadcast during the Slammiversary event, and maybe that inspired Tony Khan to allow 
for him, for you know, maybe you thought, well, you know, if if WWE will allow its talent to send videos to Impact, maybe I should follow suit and allow my talent to send in videos to Raw. I mean, what did his company have to lose? And in fact, I think it was, you know, a PR coup for him to allow this to happen because yeah, it made I... him look like, I mean, if he were to block it, that might come across as petty. Um, well, I think he's always been kind of, he's always said, and he has always shown it kind of consistently. You know, he does work with other promotions. He does always, you know, he, he, he always has AEW out there in different places. So if, if that's how he feels, then there shouldn't be a reason to 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 block it. Now, do, yeah. would Vince McMahon allow, I don't know, would he allow Triple H, well, not Triple H is a bad example, would he allow, you know, a bunch of WWE guys to send a video to AEW for a Chris Jericho celebration? I don't think he would. But at the same time, Tony Tony Khan should be like, if this, if this is how you want to do things, then stick to it. And, that, and he did, so I think it was... A- yeah, 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 and plus he's setting an example. Yeah. And if Vince or WWE um, were, not allowed, were not to allow its talent to, to, to reciprocate, then that reflects poorly on WWE, doesn't it? And he makes AEW and Tony Khan. AEW look like the bigger promotion and Tony Khan look like the bigger promoter because he's, he's being gracious in that way. So, yeah, I think he, I think he actually... I think it did AEW some favors. I think it was um, you know a nice moment for AEW for it to allow three for Tony Khan to allow three of his contracted talents um, to send in videos for John Cena. So uh, it was obvious, obviously new footage because Big Show was almost unrecognizable, wasn't it? It's a good job there's a caption on the screen <laughs> identifying him as the Big Show. We would who's this guy? He looked like he was in the wilderness or something. He just hadn't, hadn't got to a shaver in about a month. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, what, did like you, what, <laughs> uh, what did you think overall of the, the John Cena celebration? They built it up over the first couple of hours. They had him interacting with people, and it led to him coming out and doing a big rah-rah speech, um, which didn't lead to anything now, but, you know, it very much could do after Money in the Bank. Was John Cena's big return celebration a success? What did you think of it? Um... I mean, I've got to say, I mean, <laughs> after about an hour of it, I was sick of the fawning. I just had enough of 20 years of Cena. Um, but the people seemed to enjoy it. I mean, this wasn't for my benefit, Kenny. This was for a did bring up any? Did it bring up any PTSD? Well, not really, because, I mean, they didn't show that many. I mean, they showed some highlights of his matches. Um, but a lot of it was the Make-A-Wish thing, which, you know, He's got to be. He's got to be congratulated for that. I mean, you know, I mean, what a gent. I mean, what a guy. Making all those wishes, they reckon he's the, he's given he's granted more maker wishes than any celeb ever. I mm-hmm. mean, that tell. I mean, you know, that's really good that he's done all those things for all those kids. Um. So I mean, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of people talking about him and what he meant to the company and what a star he was and and is and how. How the how the you know people were you know really in awe of his work ethic and considered him a friend and you know it was it was a nice thing for fans of John Cena so um, I don't really think feel like I'm qualified to really comment any further than that I mean this was for people who are big admirers of John Cena I don't really have that much of an axe to grind with him anymore because I thought he was 
He did so much for the company last year when he returned, particularly in the match with Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. I've talked about that before, written about it. I don't feel like I need to go over it again. And I thought he actually, in his appearances backstage with talent, with theory, with Seth Rollins and with others, um, with Street Profits uh, especially, I thought he actually did a really good job working with them and didn't overshadow them, didn't steal their thunder. And they, in most cases, the other talent, the, the full-timers actually did most of the talking. So I thought it was actually quite helpful there. Um, so I think, yeah, overall, I mean, the speech in the ring went on a bit. And I mean, <laughs> you know, it was it was very much... Like, uh, like if you follow his Twitter, it's like these inspirational messages, his Twitter. And that's what the speech felt like. And if people enjoyed it, and the audience seemed to. And, you know, it had, it made people feel better and it, and it made them feel like, you know, Cena was on their side. Then, then it was a success. I mean, but I mean, yeah, the most, most of what he did that I enjoyed was the backstage stuff. And I thought he did really well working with the talent, with Seth and the Street Profits, and also with Theory. I was half expecting Theory to make an appearance before the end of his speech in the ring, and he didn't do. Um, I thought actually one thing Cena said in the ring I thought was really good. He did say that he, did, he wasn't saying that, um, that he wasn't going to wrestle again, but he didn't know when he would. And I thought that was very honest of him to actually put it in those terms because he could have just said, I will be back. I will be back. You know, he could have really pumped up the crowd by making a promise that he couldn't keep. And I thought the whole way that he phrased that was very honest of him is that, you know, I might return, but, but you know, I don't know if I will and I don't know when it will be. So I thought he handled that really well. Um, well, elsewhere on the show, we did have uh, Riddle qualify for the Money in the Bank ladder match. Uh, so he is he's back in the game, Finn. He's uh, he's going to be in the match this Saturday. Um, fans were fans were very happy that he was the one to win in the end. So it's good for him. It was great to see him get another big moment, especially coming off of the Roman Reigns match the other week. Um, so he's got to be pretty happy with himself. Uh, oh, how yeah. he's being presented, you know, because. You know, because we've seen other people before where you have a big moment and then the next week you maybe get beat and then it's a downward spiral. But for him, it was a, a little stopgap and now he's won this big battle royal. He's in the Money in the Bank match. So it's got to be good for him to continue some momentum. Yeah, definitely. And they're capitalising on that. And he, I mean, it doesn't really matter if he wins or he doesn't. And again, it adds to that story of Roman Reigns narrowly turning back the challenger riddle. And it's like, well, Riddle can't challenge Roman Reigns again when he's champion, but could he if he was the money in the bank holder? Does that trump that stipulation? I think it does, yeah. Yeah, I think he's allowed to. So, And he's got to be, I mean, really, when you look at the field of who's going to be in the match, I mean, Drew McIntyre is probably the favourite, given that the clash at the castle is coming up in September. But, I mean, once once you get past Drew McIntyre, is the favourite Riddle? I mean, we've got Seth Rollins, Drew, Sheamus, Omas, Sami Zayn, Riddle, and one more. So yeah, I mean, possibly Riddle. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it will be him, but I think he, I think he will come close, and I think there'll be a lot of support for him to grab the briefcase. I just hope that people don't turn on Drew, and that on the night that Riddle is the crowd favorite, 
and that Drew is booed if he's the one who grabs the case. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, WWE will have the foresight to anticipate that potential, you know, those circumstances, that potential problematic situation from occurring and, you know, set the match up in such a way that it's not Drew versus Riddle at the end. I can't imagine it will be, but you never know. Because the last thing you want is the audience booing Drew if he wins the briefcase because we think he's going to be the guy who's going to challenge for the title at Clash at the Castle. Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't think that would happen, but you just never know, do you, in these situations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, ne- you never know. Uh, but you never it's, know. It's, it's given us, you know, we mentioned earlier how Money in the Bank is not feeling like that exciting of an event, but the riddle win here in the kind of, the men's match is probably the, the the thing to be the most excited about. Yeah, really fortified the lineup. I feel, and uh, I mean Seth Rollins is also a contender. I don't think he'll win, but he's somebody who plausibly could win. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, you know it's, it's like Riddle, Seth Rollins, and Drew seem the three most likely candidates to win. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed the, the battle royal. I thought it was. Um, I thought the ending was was really good with. The Miz had faked a knee injury on the outside of the ring, and then he eliminated AJ Styles from the outside, and then it came down to Miz versus Riddle, and Riddle almost like took him over the top rope with head scissors, and then nailed him with an RKO on the ring apron, and Miz fell to the floor, and Riddle won. I should point out as well, Kenny, and this is a running joke, that Akira Tozawa was the first person to to be eliminated from the Battle Royal. That is now officially a running joke. <laughs> He's always the first person to be eliminated from the Battle Royal. Well, I mean, long may that streak continue. Um, <laughs> and then the, the, the main event was the other kind of obvious thing for Money in the Back, where Becky Lynch finally qualified for the women's Money in the Back ladder match by winning an elimination match um, with uh, also had Zia Lee, Dewdrop, Nikki A.S.H., Tamina and Shayna Baszler. Um, so, I mean, Becky was the obvious person who was going to win this. Do you, and to come back to what I was going to say earlier, do you think that Becky wins this and then we get Becky and Bianca at SummerSlam one year on from their first match? Um, I mean, possibly. Uh, I mean, we do we know yet how long Rhea Ripley is going to be sidelined? Has that? I don't think they've no. acknowledged, sorry, announced the injury yet, have they? No, they've not. She did say on Instagram that it's a brain slash teeth injury. Oh, right. So I, th- I, I think it. I mean, I think from reading between lines, it could be a concussion. Right. Yeah. From a, from a kick in her to, from her mouth that ended up. But I mean, yeah. If she's back, it'd be good to see her. But I mean, I don't really see what's Becky going to do at SummerSlam. If she's not facing uh, Bianca. There's not really anybody else on Raw that screams out unless you've got something like you know they bring Trish or somebody back to, to face her as a kind of, you know, like Charlotte had the other year. But yeah. apart from that, the, the the lineup of other women does not seem fraught with big match possibilities. Yeah, it's slim pickings. I mean, they've got quite a few female performers on Raw, but I mean, none of them, I mean, Becky Lynch's league. And as you said, it was, it was obvious from the moment this match was this elimination match. It was obvious that Lynch was going to win. There was no one else in that lineup. Uh, Shayna Baszler, Dewdrop, Nikki, Nikki A.S.H., Tamino, Zia Lee, who could have conceivably won. It was Lynch's match. So, um, but there again, you're Lynch versus Belair. How many times have we seen that now? Is does that really feel like a SummerSlam match? I don't know. It's 
I mean, it's difficult because the, the, they're really in a bind with the women's division on both brands. They've not it almost because there's so many, you know, Shayna Baszler's somebody who, why is Shayna Baszler not a star? Why no. can she not be positioned as a, a kind of MMA fighter gimmick and just have her be serious? And she's somebody who you could slot in with prog- title programs now and then. But she's never really caught fire in the company. I mean, no. remember they gave her that huge push in Elimination Chamber and she scored all those wins and she never really got over, did she? Um, well, she did, because she, she debuted and then she, well, she got eliminated in the Rumble, then she won the Chamber and then she lost to Becky at WrestleMania, the empty yeah. arena one. And then and then she got paired with Nia Jax for a year. <laughs> yeah. um, and then she was with Natalia. Is she still with Natalia? She is, I think. Yes. I think so. Um, well, at the moment, the, it's the they're in singles, aren't they? The yeah, they're in, but I mean, you know, when you look at the rest of the, I mean, Zaya Lee, God bless her, but she's not going to be a big star. Um, you know, be a, a cheap plug for what else is going down about what Finn thinks of Shotzi and some of her chances. <laughs> um, Tamina, let's move on. I mean, Shayna Baszler is probably the best of the bunch that they've got to do something with. Yeah. But well, even I then... I mean, the, the, the problem is, is that she has she has had a lot of matches in this company and she's never really sparkled. It's mm-hmm. just never happened. And you can say, oh, well, the matches haven't been long enough. You know, she hasn't been given a chance to shine. She's been there long enough now that if she really had it, she really had that, you know, she was a dynamic performer who was ready to feel like a top performer, top wrestler, top act. Then she should she would have shown some potential. Should have shown, you know, that there would have been the pieces that they they could have put together to create a star with. But to me, she just feels like she's making up the numbers. She's never really felt like a star in WWE. I mean, she did quite well in NXT. I thought she did well as NXT Women's Champion, um, but it's not really translated onto the main roster. I mean, should have done because, as you say, she's got the background, she's got the pedigree, she's got the, you know, she's got this rep as a former, a former fighter and everything, and she looks tough, you know. So, on paper, she should be a star, but she's never really shown me anything. You know, I understand why the creative team has never got behind her because she's never really, you know, erupted. She's never really said, you know, you must push me. And there's never really been that sort of groundswell of support behind her. People haven't really got behind her and thought uh, and demanded that WWE push her as a, as, a, as a challenger or champion or top act. Um, but there again, you know, sometimes one feeds the other, doesn't it? So if, you, if, the, if the company really gets behind an act, then that act steps it up and then the audience responds accordingly and you have all these, you know, factors coming together to create a star. So, you know, maybe maybe she's worth a shot. You know, maybe she maybe they should put some energy and investment into her and come up with some videos and just, you know, give her some big wins and make us believe that she could be a top star. And if they make us believe she could be, then maybe she'll believe that she can be. I mean, you would think, wouldn't you, that they would do something with Shayna and Ronda 
since they're pals. Makes sense. And you would think that Ronda, if there was ever a match that Ronda wanted to step up and really put a best foot forward and show that she's still got what it takes to be a somebody and a star maker and everything else, she would do it for a long time, friend. I mean, yeah, if anything's going to get Ronda Rousey to be excited, then working with her best pal would hopefully be what does it, but... Um, I mean, but, but they're on separate brands, aren't they? So, I mean, I mean, I know that's it's not hard and fast rule anymore. You have talent going from Raw to SmackDown and vice versa all the time, so they can certainly overcome that. Um, but I mean, yeah, maybe maybe that's the match that will make a difference for Ronda and for Shayna's career. Well, listen, that's all the time we've got for today. When we're back next week and what's going down, we'll be covering Money in the Bank and uh, blood and guts so lots of stuff going on in wrestling we'll be back later on this week as well with power slam where we'll be talking the news of the day so finn uh, i hope you enjoy a couple of days reprieve before we need to delve into the wrestling again yes i, I will do well you know as ever there's always plenty to be uh, catching up with i just watched slammiversary so maybe we'll talk about that on thursday sure let us know what's going on in the in the land of the land of impact Um, But yeah, well, listen, I want to thank you all for your support. Um, Inside the Ropes magazine, the new issue is out this Thursday. Um, I know, Finn, you received yours at the weekend. I received mine yesterday. So um, if you subscribe to the mag, insidetheropesmagazine.com, you often will receive it early. Not all the time, but you often will receive your copy early. So so, you can do a monthly rolling subscription, so you can cancel any time. There's no... Uh, hard, you know, no, no long tie-in time, so it's worth uh, giving it a go, and uh, we hope that you will enjoy checking it out. Yes, Roman Reigns is on the cover. You can check it out on the website. Yeah, it's out this Thursday in the shops. Indeed, Finn speaks to Double J himself, Jeff Jarrett. Lots of good stuff in the issue. Um, and Patreon is the best way that you can keep us doing podcasts. It keeps the lights on. Patreon.com forward slash Inside the Ropes. There's a new What Else is Going Down exclusive monthly column that Finn does only for Patreon, where he's talking about uh, you know the Jeff Hardy situation, Vince McMahon scandal, Shotzi, Ronda... And much, much more. Uh, we also do an overrun every week. And we just last week reviewed King of the Ring 2002 on our retro timeline. So lots of stuff for people to be checking out, Finn. Yeah, loads of stuff, loads of new content there. Um, yeah, we had, a, we, as always, uh, we had a really good time reviewing King of the Ring, the uh, King of the Ring 2002, the uh, retro pay-per-view. And it's always fascinating to revisit these, these events. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, 20 years on and... You just, I mean, you remember them from the time, Kenny. I certainly do, because we covered them in Power Slam. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it is curious. One thing, and we didn't talk about this on the podcast, was just how different Brock Lesnar's style was back then. Mm-hmm. He did, like, loads of things in the ring that he would never do now. And just really chatting the evolution of Brock Lesnar as a performer from when he first started in 2002 on the main roster to uh, him now in 2022, totally different character, totally different in-ring style. Maybe Brock Lesnar back in the day. Uh, yeah, so ch- ch- uh, check out our, our review of it. Check out the, the show itself. And yeah, I forgot to mention on Power Slam this Thursday, uh, we'll, we'll maybe have the discussion about 20 years of TNA because they're celebrating 20 years this month. So um, we shall uh, incorporate that into uh, seeing what was going on in Slammiversary. So lots Indeed. to chat about. Yeah, yeah, Slammiversary was on June 19th and that was 20 years to the day 
since the first TNA pay-per-view. There you go. Well, listen, we want to thank you all for your support, as always. Check out the various things we've got going on, and we'll talk to you soon, everybody. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.